Hi, everybody. Welcome to the November 15th, 2019 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the battle between Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold and the U.S. Post Office over the delivery of 828 replacement ballots in Denver and Arapahoe County on Election Day, meaning they actually went out on Election Day. So it's a little rough uh, timing there. Patty Calhoun from Westward. Uh, this uh, seems like it's important to get right, not only now, but especially before we get to next year. What do you think? I, I was impressed that 838 people realized they hadn't gotten their ballots, asked for them, had to go to out of state, and by the time they do, were arrived on election day, then the post office actually had to call back mail carriers to deliver them. Of course, if you're the clerk or the secretary of state and you don't know that these late ballots are coming, you can't keep the polls open late, you can't wait for them. I just hope they get it all cleared up before Santa letters start going out. No one wants to be late on Christmas Day. Here, here. Uh, Krista Kafer joins us, Denver Post columnist. Great to have you back from your, all of your travels abroad. Uh, so, Krista, this, you know, 828 ballots, I think, in a big scheme of things of like a statewide race, okay, whatever. But there were a lot of races that came down to the wire. Do we need to be making a bigger deal of this? I don't think we need to make a bigger deal of it. I do think that we need to rectify it for next time. And we've got a, what, a sleepy election, 2020, not a big deal. Yeah. yeah. There's, so, a, there's a few, like, dog catchers in the ballots about it. Exactly. Yeah. So we need to get that this worked out before that happens because then it will be a very big deal. But even the Secretary of State said she didn't think that, the, that it mattered as much this election, although she's obviously infuriated by it. That, did it affect the results? Probably not. Joe Sells are able to join us at the table today. Thank you very much. Former state lawmaker, also executive director at Colorado Rising. Uh, Joe, what do you make of uh, what we saw from uh, Secretary of State Griswold's reaction? Was it, was it appropriate uh, for what was happening? I think the question is, is what else could she do in this moment, right? And, and, of course, getting it right for 2020 is an important thing. But 828 replacement ballots, that's the difference between who we have right now a declared winner for mayor and someone who could have been a declared winner on the opposite end. Um, I think that there probably needs to be some, some rectification for those 828 individuals. What that could be, I just don't know. And right at the panel, a new face to the show. Thank you for joining us. Lucille Winagema, uh, we, a communications consultant, and uh, with, uh, I want to be sure I get this right, Cleo's Creative. Yes. Great to have you here. Uh, wrap it up for us. The, from what, the reaction we saw from Secretary of State Griswold, the problem with the U.S. Post Office, do you have confidence that we're going to be able to get it right next year? You know what? I do have a lot of confidence that we can get it right next year. I think that the percentage, although 828 votes, that's substantial when you're thinking of winners and losers. I think that's, <clears throat> excuse me, enough margin for error that you can figure that out. And um, I think that going into 2020, uh, making sure that we are focusing, too, on voting from home, making sure that people are getting their ballots in early. As you, as you said, people actually knew that they didn't have what they needed. Uh, and that's because we have such a wide window. So I think we're doing a lot of things right. And we do have enough time to, to make it perfect. Well, here, let's cross our fingers for that one. Former Congressman Mike Kaufman declared victory in the Aurora mayoral race on Thursday with a 213-vote lead over Omar Montgomery. The margin of victory did not trigger an automatic recount, but Montgomery can request one that he would need to pay for. The count was closely watched this week as 1,000 ballots were cured in Arapahoe County. Patty, uh, what do you think of Kaufman's announcement? Because this was him declaring victory. This wasn't anybody else officially saying it. Um, did he jump the gun or has enough uh, results come in 10 days after the election? Well, since the ballots that had problems with them, which allows you to cure them, those had to be cured by Wednesday night. By Thursday, I think he had a pretty strong feeling he could do it. The there's so many lessons here. One is 
it is remarkably easy to vote in Colorado. You get it in the mail. You can mail it back. You can drop it off the last day. I think Arapahoe County had 60% of their votes come in on Monday and Tuesday. Um, but as you, long as you remember to sign the ballot, they'll usually count it. But it shows that every vote does matter, especially in this election. I thought it was interesting that Kaufman did not make some, I'm a great Victoria speech, but said we should look into this. We should see what went wrong with the election at the ballot box and in the mail and deal with it for next year. Now, Omar Montgomery is having a gathering for his supporters on Monday, and we'll see. But so far, it's been pretty gracious. Most of the acrimony is between the U.S. Post Service and uh, Janet Roswald. Uh, Krista, I'm not sure how, with all your world travels if you saw all the crazy uh, things that are going around Election Day 10 days ago, but 10 days seems like a, a, enough time that somebody in an official manner in a municipal election, we're not trying to get to 64 counties in Colorado, we're not trying to rectify a huge mechanical problem at some sort of ballot area, we're just trying to count votes for the third largest city in Colorado. Uh, do you have faith that we know who our winner is at this point in the Aurora Mayor's race? Oh, we know. We know that it is Mike Kaufman. And I, I can't conceal my joy. I think he's a terrific person. He, he's from Aurora. He loves Aurora. He has uh, made a lot of inroads into all kinds of communities there. I think he's going to be a great mayor. And I'm glad that, I'm glad that he finally you know, made his own announcement because, honestly, we need to put the election behind us and let him govern. Joe, you've been involved in a race, uh, a close race like this, or people counting at way after Election Day. What is that like, and what are the, the processes that we need to go through to make sure all the ballots are counted? Yeah, so actually I've been through it twice. Uh, number one was in 2014 when uh, my house race was so close that we had to go into a cure period. Um, I ended up winning that race, obviously, and uh, and then with the attorney general's race, as close as that was, and uh, echoing what Patty said, every single vote counts, right? Um, I know that Kaufman has declared victory, but uh, I think that uh, the jury still may be out on how close it is and whether it does trigger a, a recount. Um, it probably won't, but I'll tell you one thing, Kaufman certainly doesn't have a, 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 a mandate by the voters in terms of his uh, election as mayor, if that ends up being the case. Lucille, uh, a whole lot of scrutiny is coming down right now, but it's only going to magnify we get into 2020. Do you feel that there's going to be certain lessons learned across the board so that we're not talking about this in any major races next year? You know, I really hope that there are some lessons that are learned, but I think uh, Joe is completely right in that there hasn't been a mandate. When you have a margin that's that close, you want there to take, you want them to take as long as needed to make sure that, that that's definitive, because it really comes down to whether or not people's votes are, are respected and upheld, right? So we want to make sure, as long as it takes, that we do get to the decision that the voters wanted. Um, and when it's that close, I think that anybody who's elected, um, and it, it's Kaufman in this case, has to make sure that he respects that a lot of people did not come at his back. And he's going to have to work with the council. It's a council that, you know, he may or may not be able to work hand in hand with. And hopefully he focuses on Aurora because there's definitely a, a lot of thought around what his uh, ambitions might be that aren't necessarily focused on that town. Should be enjoyable to watch. State House Minority Leader Patrick Neville, along with 10 other Republican lawmakers, submitted an estimated 200,000 signatures for uh, Amendment 76 to appear on the 2020 ballot. 
the measure would add the word only to the Colorado State Constitution in the sentence, only United States citizens may vote in Colorado, rather than every citizen may vote. Um, Chris, I guess my first question is, and I've been accused of being cynical before, but changing one word in the Constitution from every U.S. citizen to only U.S. citizens um, feels less like a needed constitutional amendment and much more like we're looking to bring a base out to vote. Am I being cynical or is there a needed change to the Constitution here? Let's go with both, right? I think you're right that your instincts that you, you put things on the ballot that draw your voters. I get that and this should do it. On the other hand, although there is no evidence that non-citizens are voting right now, uh, in the future, it seems like a reasonable precaution. If liberals are able to circumvent the Electoral College and, and basically get rid of it through one scheme or another, state population, the, the number of voters voting matters ever more, right? So having more people in your state vote, whether they're citizens or not, would be an objective. So it seems like a reasonable precaution. I think it's a little of both. Joe, to me, this is a hammer looking for, uh, this is a a solution looking for a problem because um, it's not as if we've had some sort of huge amount of voter fraud over uh, thousands of uh, undocumented non-U.S. citizens voting in Colorado. And it does serve as a very effective uh, tool to attract a base. Uh, But you've been part of this process making laws and looking at the Constitution as part of your job as a former state lawmaker. What do you think when you see uh, these signatures turned in? Yeah, so I take a look that it's being uh, brought by Patrick Neville. I served with, uh, with uh, the House Minority Leader for, uh, for a few years uh, as a state lawmaker, and uh, they must be in desperate trouble if they are looking to drive out their base by using xenophobic and racist uh, agenda items like this uh, for 2020. And this is not a shock to me, having admonished uh, Representative Neville on the House floor several times over because of his conduct towards our undocumented families. So this is, I just think that this is just a, a very uh, intellectually dishonest way of trying to drive out their base. Lucille, the word every versus the word only uh, is kind of positive, negative. But to me, it means the same thing. But I'm just one person. When you look at it, is is there any correction really happening here? No, there isn't. And when we're looking at voter fraud, it's so insignificant as to be negligible. So to create an initiative that does not uh, that addresses a problem that does not actually exist is disingenuous. It's making Colorado issues into national issues. And for somebody like uh, Neville to make the national politics to Colorado politics, when again, it's not something that's actually happening, is is disingenuous to me. And it takes away that hyper-local agency that people really appreciate about Colorado. So to me, it's it's really just drumming up a base that really wants to hear that somebody uh, sees them and is just as xenophobic as they are. Uh, Patty, it seems to be a response. You talk to supporters of this. They talk about, well, there's been cities in California, like uh, I think San Francisco was one of them that said uh, they're allowing uh, non-citizens to vote. Uh, it, it also feels, though, that it's easy to say, well, this might be happening in some other states, so we better amend a constitution. And amending the constitution in Colorado is not very easy. I think it's a 55% um, uh, a threshold. Uh, they get signatures in all the different counties. What do you make when you see something like this, knowing the, the politics back and forth? 
Well, we're lucky this hadn't gone through earlier, or more to the point Kaufman is, because all those French citizens, all those English citizens who were voting for him in this election wouldn't have been able to do it. Uh, and I think it is. it actually says every citizen, not every U.S. citizen. So uh. part of it is spe- specifying that this was not a problem. Clearly, we do not have a lot of people. We would know if they were able to vote from another another citizen, a citizen of another country. We would have heard about it a long time ago. The other thing is there are other ways to change the Constitution. For example, if you happen to be a state lawmaker sitting in the legislature, you can work on proposing change in the Constitution. It came up before. Remember, we not long ago, slavery mm. in the Constitution? So there are those laundry list ballot measures that come up every few years to bring the Constitution into line, maybe with current mores, or just clear up things that are confusing. Certainly, this could have been put in one of those laundry lists rather than make a big deal out of it now. Unless, of course, you wanted to get a certain voter base out to the... Yes, unless you wanted to collect some names and some headlines. (laughs) Denver Mayor Michael Hancock and Councilwoman Robin Kanich submitted a final version of Denver's proposed minimum wage increase. If passed by the council, the minimum wage in Denver will go to over $13 next year and over $15 in 2021. Uh, Joe, there's a, a lot of different economic arguments on the effectiveness of raising the minimum wage like this, but what do you think of Denver's current proposal? Because as Colorado's biggest city, uh, most populous, it's likely going to set a, a few trends and have some ramifications. When you saw this proposal move forward, what were your thoughts? Yay, Finally. Um, I've been a big advocate for for raising the minimum wage. Uh, We need to have a livable wage uh, here in the state of Colorado, and particularly in Denver with the high cost of living and even $15 an hour. It doesn't really get you much in Denver. You're having to still live outside the Denver Denver proper area. But but it makes it a little bit easier for working families uh, when you raise the minimum wage. And we have seen through uh, multiple studies on other places where they have raised the minimum wage to $15 an hour. It doesn't have such a marketable effect on business by doing that. So this is a good, good way to go. Lucille, it's not as if the city would be able to go back and lower the rate if for some reason this was a problem. So once they're going there, uh, they're there. Uh, do you think it's a slam dunk with the council? And what do you think of the move? I absolutely think it's a slam dunk. And we have enough research back from other places that we know that this isn't something where voters have come back and said, we absolutely want for people to get paid less. Um, Coloradans deserve it. Coloradans are hardworking and they need to know that their state is there to uh, make sure that they are able to get the compensation that they deserve. Colorado families are really just trying to, a lot of them just survive. Um, It links to so many other issues that we're talking about, specifically homelessness. And so if If you're able to give Coloradans a fair shot, literally help them meet their most basic needs, why wouldn't we do that? Patty, we've been talking about minimum wage laws around the table for a long time. In fact, when we had, I think it was a state uh, issue a couple of years ago. Um, The Denver Restaurant Association is still not behind this, uh, not as if they would be. I don't think they ever were. But are are there at least some complications uh, that are possible for the city of Denver in making this move and do you think there are other cities kind of waiting on seeing the impact in, in Denver of if they are going to pursue something like this themselves? I don't, they won't see the impacts that quickly. That's one of the issues. It's the Colorado Restaurant Association, and they had a very legitimate complaint, which was one was this was moved through a little quickly. 
Everyone wants people to earn more money, and in fact, most people working in restaurants are earning far above what this minimum wage level will be. If you get into the arcane legislative issue, the problem is the tip credit, which is how tips are shared in a restaurant, and the people who are waiting on tables and are definitely earning below a certain level and will get bumped up earn far more than what we're talking about raising the minimum wage. But the way this will be divided in restaurants will actually hurt the back of the house people. So that's what the Colorado Restaurant Association was trying to work out, parity. And now what they'll have to do is go to the legislature because it's actually a, legisl- a Colorado state law, this tip credit pr- program, and work it out. And I think they will try to do that. But the reason that Hancock changed it is because of the Colorado Restaurant Association. Um, Patty, uh, excuse me, Krista, I'm not an economist here, but I know some basic economics that if any cost is passed along to an employer or a business, it doesn't just come out of um, uh, profits because it's a nice thing to do. Either prices go up or less employees are uh, going to be there. Something has to give because it's an increased cost, just like it would if price of food went up. It's not as if, if beef goes up, my brother is a chef at a restaurant, if beef goes up, he has to raise the prices uh, or do something about it. Um, What do you see as potential ramifications, especially on the cusp, as some predict, of a recession in the next year or two? You can't break the laws of economics. I mean, if if you look at the Congressional Budget Office, which is a a nonpartisan office, they looked at a $15 minimum wage increase at the federal level and found that a million people would lose their jobs. If you look around the country where states have adopted these $15 minimum wages, you'll see that people lose their hours or they lose their jobs. It's quite simple. If a job is worth $13 an hour and the government comes in and says, oh, no, it's worth $15 an hour, that job goes away. You can't wave a magic wand, can't break the laws of economics. The Colorado Supreme Court heard arguments this week in a case looking to overturn the high-capacity magazine ban passed in 2013. Lucille, this was an uh, incredibly controversial uh, part of the uh, different uh, gun law packages that went through in 2013. But now it's facing the, US, the Colorado Supreme Court. It's a good catch there. Um, what do you expect to see as a decision once one is made after all these arguments? You know, I can't quite forecast what we're going to land on. But what I do think now is that even from 2013 to today, we've seen the impacts of what um, these laws have in in real life. Um, When we're not being forward thinking about the ways that we want our societies to be, whether or not we want children to be safe when they go out into the world and and the rest of us as well. So uh, to me, it seems regressive to try and repeal something that was done in earnest to, to really protect people. Um, so regardless of, of where it actually ends up, I can't predict that. Um, I think that it's really telling that some people are wanting to uh, put guns over the lives of, of their community. Uh, Patty, clearly this issue isn't going away, and this is from six years ago, uh, and may not even stop the Colorado Supreme Court, depending on how that runs. What do you think, knowing the, the Colorado Supreme Court and, and their past decisions, where this might go? I can't really predict them either, but I'm going to. I think it'll be upheld, and I think that it'll wind up being appealed. It's so interesting to remember it was five years ago, so it was after the Aurora Theater shootings, that this is, we haven't seen much other legislation since, but we've seen the red flag bill go through, and that'll take effect January 1st, and we're going to hear a lot of shouting about that from maybe David Kopel, others, (laughs) others at this table, and around the state. But the fact that we haven't gotten further in common sense regulation of guns, not just in this state, 
But back in August, we may recall, when Donald Trump was determined to do something about guns, after we had two major shootings in a row and nothing has happened, it's definitely time to have a common-sense discussion around this country, not just um, shouting at each other, but actually conversing. Uh, Chris, I won't ask you. I won't ask you to also prognosticate if you if you know what the Colorado Supreme Court will do. But I do know at least, and what a heck of a week for David to be out. I'm sure he, he he's somewhere across the country where he's traveling, saying, "I want to be out to talk about this." That other lawsuits that have tackled gun bills like this have gone the way of actually overturning laws like this. So it's not unheard of, at least in legal atmospheres. Uh, is this going to re, uh, renew that fight that we saw so vociferously in 2013? You know, call me cynical, but I think you could predict how this will go by who appointed these judges. Look at that list and you can see that which way it'll go. I'm, my guess is that it'll go against against the guns. Um, and, and here's the deal. There is no evidence that these kinds of laws actually reduce gun violence. And that's simply because guns don't kill people. People kill people. I know it's an, it's an old statement that gets thrown around, but we could have a pile of, of magazines on this table and nothing would happen. And yet an evil person with a, with a shotgun, a, a pump-action shotgun, the kind of thing you have out in the countryside, could kill a lot of people. We, I'm not saying that we don't regulate guns. We have a lot of regulations with guns. But uh, in the end, it really is about conscience, character, not about the mechanics of these machines. Joe, um, with your role as a state lawmaker, you know this intimately. Uh, what do you think about the, the case going to the Supreme Court, the, the Colorado Supreme Court, and what might be the reaction from the current legislature? Yeah, so that was my first year as a legislator, uh, 2013, when we dealt with all the gun safety legislation. Um, prior to our election in, in, uh, in 2012, we had the Aurora shooting, and the, one of the days that we were in baby legislator training, we were sitting on the House floor, and we were receiving our training from, uh, from a Republican lawmaker on how to make motions and what have you, Sandy Hook started to happen. Mm-hmm. And we literally stopped our training to watch it unfold. Um, so this was a big issue for us as we uh, contemplated the legislation, and we fought very hard for it. Um, and we made sure that it was rationally related to, uh, uh, to situations happening that we have to correct, that we have to address, and also that the legislation was reasonable. So I think that the Supreme Court is going to uphold uh, our, um, our passage of the legislation and Governor Hickenlooper's signature on that legislation. It is time for a very, very part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. There are so many, but I'm going to return to Denver International Airport. On Monday, the City Council will start thinking about the new contracts for the Great Hall after we lost uh, Ferruvial, the Spanish company, was booted out. The city is still negotiating how much they're going to owe for reveal, hundreds of millions of dollars, forget ending that contract. And good work by John Murray in the Denver Post detailing some of the problems that led to this. And, of course, they're coming from Ferruvial in their complaint, their responses, but how long it took DIA officials to decide what kind of tile to put in the bathroom. Just let's hope with the new people that come in, they do a better job of it. Uh, we just got b- bumped. Wall Street Journal had made DIA number one in the country for airports last year, but we got bumped down. And I think if you've walked through that maze lately, you know why. Yeah, it, it, very rarely would you ever put uh, DIA and Newark in the same sentence. Until now, you can, you can see some similarities. Krista. 
You know what? I, I was going to do the, the daycare that had the false wall down in the Colorado Springs hiding 26 kids. But then I, I accidentally listened to the impeachment hearings on the way here. And so what a disgrace. I mean, it's a partisan dog and pony show, a lot of shady business. I say Congress reprimand the president for his quid pro quo shady business and let's move on. Let the people decide whether he's worth putting into office in 2020. Joe. <laughs> I'm going to follow along that same vein. Uh, you know, the disgrace of the week is uh, President Trump live tweeting intimidation uh, against uh, Ambassador Yovanovitch just hours ago as she was testifying. And uh, I'm going to say something nice about him, too. Thank you for making the Democrats' job to impeach him much easier. <laughs> Lucille. I like that we've uh, gone from hyper-local to national. I'll take it even bigger. I think the disgrace of the week is the military action in Chile. Um, I think it's something that we should all um, be watching, even though we all have um, our issues that we're passionate about here that affect us directly. It's, it's something that we should all be paying attention to um, when we think of how we can do better and what makes us American, what unites us as Americans, and, and the values that we hold. You're here. Time to say something nice about somebody. Patty? Susan Green, who has sat at this table before, had a new plan to work on a collaboration, and she went to Rangeley to work with the editor of the Herald there on a police shooting that people had been stymied trying to find out about. It's an incredible story that they worked on together. It's an example of why journalism really matters, what they were able to find out between the police and the sheriff and what is going wrong in that town. So great work by Susan and the Colorado Independent, and they're planning on collaborating with others. Krista. You know what, I was out of town, but I want to say thank you to fellow Coloradans for knocking down Prop CC. Uh, Tabor is a part of Colorado. We believe in it. We believe in responsible government. We, re- we believe in, in insane fiscal policy. And I voted before I left. You can probably figure out how I voted. And when I got back, I was relieved to see that the vote went my way. <laughs> Joe. I want to say something nice to a former representative, uh, Cole Wist for standing up against his party on so many of, uh, of the issues, uh, particularly on the red flag bill, and also against this president, too. He's been uh, live-tweeting as well and, and, and expressing his disdain for how uh, Republican lawmakers are uh, insulating and protecting this president, uh, particularly when he's engaging in, in bullying uh, behavior. Lucille. Uh, for me, I grew up in Aurora. My family still lives in Aurora. So um, my glow for the week is definitely the city council and, and the way that those elections shaped up. Uh, it's really exciting. Uh, my work with uh, training local women to run for public office uh, has been thrilling, continues to be thrilling. And on so many notes, it's, it's really exciting to see the fruit of that work. Well, uh, before we go, I want to tell you about Colorado Gives Day. It's December 10th, and you can schedule your get to CPT12 now. If you tuned in last week, you know that uh, Eric is loving this campaign. He's really hoping that everyone can email him about uh, different places that, you, they, that they would encourage him to donate to Colorado Gives Day. You count on us for a great programming like Colorado Inside Out, so can we count on your support on Colorado Gives Day? Go to cpt12.org for details. I also, before we go, want to say uh, just a quick shout-out, something nice to a couple of folks around here. There are two... Uh, uh, gentlemen on our crew that will be moving on to some new adventures. Uh, Gordon Eaton is our technical director. He's moving on to another gig, but he's made sure that everything looking sharp and all the different elements come together look great. And Orlando Rivera is off to uh, Michigan in just about a week, and he's making sure whether it's our cameras or audio or anything else he's a part of. Uh, those guys, uh, with along with our crew, make us look and sound uh, pretty darn good, and I'm grateful for all their help. I wish you both great luck in your next adventures. For everybody here at Colorado Inside Out and CPT12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching.
Good night. Thank you.